So glad you're here, so glad you're joining us online, and uh, it's been uh, quite a year as our time in study. We've been uh, walking through much of the life of David and, and seeing our God as uh, in that road with David. It's really been a road filled with adversity for David. We began the year in the latter half of 1 Samuel, and when David really begins to come on the scene, and it was all about through the latter half of 1 Samuel, uh, David being raised through adversity. And then here after the summer, we jumped into 2 Samuel, and we're right now uh, we were, made it to the middle of chapter 12, and it's been David sustained through adversity. And, and uh, some of that adversity that David is going through has been uh, self-inflicted. Uh, we really saw that two Sundays ago, 2 Samuel 11, with the whole account of David and Bathsheba. And, uh, you know, we can relate to that. We can relate to adversity that's kind of put on us, if you will, from outside, but also adversity that we bring on ourselves in it. And where I pray we are learning much about our God and his uh, work in it all. And uh, so back in April in this series, we were in 1 Samuel 25, and uh, I made the uh, declaration that at some point in this series, I'm going to deal with the whole subject of multiple wives in the Old Testament. Why did I do that? Um, today's that day. So if you're visiting with us, welcome to an odd Sunday here. Um, we're going to delve into this subject. And, and I'll just say, what an interesting time as I'm preparing this week. It just, man, this one just pulled me in. It's kind of dark. It's heavy. It's just a, a fascinating subject and weird, all of it put together. And it's like, yeah, and, and I get to talk about this today and age, uh, a subject like this in a culture that, I don't know, it's maybe just kind of on the edge of things. It's like a trigger, ha trigger happy with uh, being critical, trigger happy with getting angry quickly. And, and uh, uh, we, live in a, we live in a world right now where it, it, it's uh, offending someone is the greatest sin possible. And that really comes out of the fact of that you see uh, what I think, what I believe is truth. It kind of comes out of my truth is ultimate truth. And for you to offend my truth is to offend my, what I view as ultimate truth. And it's pretty messed up because it ends up putting ourselves on an equal or even a, an above level with God. But, but that's the reality here. So like, for instance, uh, just for some uh, input for you, encouragement of maybe some wisdom for you here, Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas is coming up. Um, in a trigger happy world, if you wanna have unity among extended family, I would suggest that like the core topics at the table is probably not politics or vaccines. It's also probably not multiple wives, all right? Like don't bring that up, don't put it on me um, without, maybe even another one is like the Colts. I, I don't know, bless their hearts. But man, Purdue was on it yesterday, yeah. <laughs> that is not in my notes. Um, so in these culturally sensitive times, um, I'm gonna talk on this subject. Uh, literally this week I was walking through the office, I think on Thursday, and I was like, why did I say I would do this? But here we go. Um, let me kind of begin with a couple things and we'll get started. I wanna put a statement on the table. Uh, a statement on the table in an angry about, uh, quick to judge 
world. Uh, uh, grace is a foreign subject. Grace is a foreign subject. And let me put it in two simple words. Why is grace a foreign subject? Answer, because grace tolerates. Grace tolerates. And there is something about others' sin that is hard to tolerate. There is something about the sins of those in history that is hard to tolerate. And we can jump all over them quickly. We can cancel them quickly. But grace, when it comes to me and you, oh God, thank you that you tolerate our sin. True? And this is the quandary. Grace tolerates. Abraham had multiple wives. David had multiple wives. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What's with that? Solomon, we could say he was the king of multiple wives. And the Lord allowed him to build the temple. What's with that? Like, really, what's with that? Well, I'm going to attempt to deal with this subject of multiple wives today. And I'm just going to, right up front, I'm going to say I'm I'm not going to be able to answer every question that you might have with it. And I'm also not going to be able to unresolve or uh, comfort every uncomfort you have about it. You will probably leave this morning in some way still like, yeah, I'm not fully comforted. Oh, by the way, I left first service going, I'm not fully comforted. Okay, but we're going to try and by God's grace, learn and grow in a very unusual subject. And so if you're here with us for the first Sunday, welcome to the team. All right. Here's how we're going to go through this. I will very likely use the same exact format for next Sunday. Another hard subject coming out of the latter half of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 is, is the death of a child. And is there hope from scripture? Is there help from scripture? on what God, uh, how God views that. And so I'm probably gonna follow through a very similar format. So we're just gonna put on the screens. This is a format through today. Uh, as you can see, we're gonna consider the subject and we're gonna consider what God has to say. That's gonna kind of be most of our time. We're gonna consider who God is. You always have to breathe, always have to, always have to bring it back to that. And then we'll finish with considering then what we will think and do, okay? Uh, let me just pray, ask God's help in this. So God, uh, that we do. We, we pray for your help. Here we delve into a subject that, man, it's hard for us to comprehend and pull together and, and see. And I just ask that the Spirit of God would uh, do an encouraging work, a helping work. And, and God, I even pray that we would be okay at times where we don't even have all of our questions answered, our, all of our uncomforts comforted. Uh, because ultimately uh, we can leave them in your perfect hands. So do a work here this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, let's begin. Let's a little bit more. I've kind of already done a little bit of it, but let's consider the subject. And, and I kind of want to just take a couple minutes and, and pull the whole subject together, not only in scripture, but worldwide. Uh, the first occurrence that we see of multiple wives in scripture is in Genesis chapter four uh, with Lamech. Uh, It's seven generations right about there after Adam and Eve. So it's a little while after, but it's not that far after Adam and Eve in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4.19, it says, Lamech took for himself two wives, Adah and Zillah. 
That's the first occurrence we say, see of it in the Bible. We jump ahead some 20 generations, and I'm just going to jump ahead to Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Genesis 16:3. it says, Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to Abram to be his wife. Awkward. Understand, this isn't just one of those subjects that, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. This isn't just one of those subjects like, oh, guys are just perverts. Okay? Listen, Sarah initiated this. In the process, it's, it's all, it's a man, it's a woman subject, particularly back in that day. Jacob, Genesis 29, had Leah and Rachel as wives. Again, just putting the subject on the table. Esau, Genesis 26, 36, chapter 26 and chapter 36. He had at least four wives. Gideon, Judges chapter eight, it tells us that he has, uh, get this, he had 70 sons. Uh, I'm sure they're daughters too. Like, good luck with that family, right? And it says he had 70 sons, four. Gideon had, it just says, many wives and a concubine. Uh, yeah, he sure did. Uh, then Elkanah, 1 Samuel chapter 1, had two wives, Hannah and Penny. We'll come back to most of these here in just a minute. Uh, David marries Michael, King Saul's daughter. Then uh, he also adds uh, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail uh, as his wives in 2 Samuel chapter 3. It names four more wives. And then 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 13, it says he takes some more wives and concubines. And then we have in 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, he marries Bathsheba. And then Solomon, 1 Kings 11, 700 wives, 300. 100 concubines, and here's the deal. It's all in black and white, written in the Bible, awkward. What do you do with that? I mean, some of these are not godly individuals, as I'll note here in a bit, but some of these God used greatly. How do we, what? It's, it's a Bible subject, but it's also more than just a Bible subject as we're considering it. Polygamy was a reality in ancient Mesopotamia, and Assyria, Egypt, Greece, Africa, Asia. At one time, Hinduism allowed a man to have up to four wives depending upon his social caste. So the more rich you were, the more powerful you were, the more wives you were able to have. Polygamy was found to exist in some Native American tribes. Muhammad, Islam's prophet, had 10 wives. The Quran permits men under certain circumstances to have up to four wives. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, he had 20 to 40 wives, somewhere in there. Brigham Young, kind of his successor, had some 30 wives. Let's move to present day. Present day, polygamy has roots in cultures in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, India, Nepal, Indonesia. Today on TV, we don't have cable, so I haven't seen it before, but on TLC, they apparently have a show called Sister Wives, where it's a guy with four, four wives. On our vacation in May, we were in southern Utah visiting some of the national parks, 
and we were staying at a Airbnb and owners were Mormon, just super sweet, kind people. And, and we were asking her, hey, any recommendations for places to eat? And she's like, yeah, you gotta eat at this one place. They have the best breakfast. She's like, I just want for you to know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a family with one husband and, and a bunch of wives that run it. That's going on today. Uh, today, polygamy is calculated to be legal in 58 out of 200 sovereign countries. Another uh, data piece kind of pulled that together to basically say one-third of today's world population lives in a place where polygamy is somehow a part of the community reality in it. And I don't bring those up to divert from it's okay because the Bible talks about it. I'm getting the whole subject on the table. So let's move from considering the subject to consider what God has to say. Two parts with this. Part number one is going to be Scripture's conversation. Part number two is going to be Scripture's call. Scripture's conversation has, so what's the conversation about the multiple wives issue? What's really going on in Scripture? And then what is Scripture's call for it? And answer, Scripture's call is for monogamy. And we're going to see that in the Old Testament. I'm even going to show it in the Pentateuch. So let's go to the conversation first. God's Word. I, I would say God's word never condones polygamy. Never. It, it never condones multiple wives. Instead, scripture points to the problems of it. Let, let, let me show you. Lamech. Uh, Lamech, who I mentioned earlier, uh, Genesis chapter 4. Lamech comes from the line of Cain. Remember Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. Uh, Lamech is from the line of Cain. By the way, the line of Cain, it has been said in, in ancient times, even in the past, uh, the line of Cain was a disgraced offshoot of God's people. I'm just going to say Lamech is no godly guy. And Genesis chapter four says that because not only does it make mention of the passage I read about he has two wives, but in a conversation with his wife, the scripture says, uh, Lamech says to his two wives, I have killed a man. Now in that, I think you're either thinking of the queen song or, or I don't know, whoever that is, uh, or you're going back to Cain. And you're thinking of, uh, with Cain, killed his brother. And so here, Lamech says this. This is the full of the text. I have killed a man, a young man for striking me. And if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, he's going back. He knows what Cain did. And if Cain's revenge was sevenfold, big tough guy here, Lamech says, well, then my revenge is 77-fold. Lamech's trying to act like a tough guy. Hey, he was not a God-honoring man. The whole thing of multiple wives is not a God thing, but it is telling us that he had multiple wives. Then we go to Abram. Now there's a godly guy, so what's the deal with that? Well, God promises Abram and Sarah a child of which God would then build a nation of people. Uh, they get impatient because it's like a child is not happening for them. So what does God do? How kind? God confirms his promise to him. Hey guys, I'm going to give you a child. And they're like, oh man, good to hear. 10 more years goes by. And they're like, like what's up, God? And Genesis 16:3, they're impatient with God. So Sarah schemes a plan for Abram to take Hagar as his wife. 
done out of a lack of faith. By the way, if you think I'm now just blaming Sarah, don't think that. Because just like with Adam and Eve in the garden, when Eve talked with Adam, it's like, dude, stand up and be a man. I say the same thing here with Abram. Abram, stand up and be a man and know that's not the kind of thing that, that would be the right thing to do. But he goes along with it and he takes Hagar as his wife. It's done out of a lack of faith in the Lord. That's what scripture tells us about it. God's fingerprint of, condone, of, of condoning this is not on it. This is their sinful choice out of a lack of faith for God to do what he had promised. Oh, by the way, the child that Hagar had, Ishmael, that child has brought a line of people who to this very day is at war with Israel. And in fact, Islam teaches that Ishmael was the ancestor of Muhammad. Off of that line, is the line. I'm just telling you, well, you really track it out and if you really work it out, you come to understand God is in no way condoning what Abram and Sarah did here. God is actually showing what happens when we do what's not right. Jacob, Jacob, he wants to marry Rachel. Laban requires, Laban is Rachel's dad. He requires seven years of Jacob. He works seven years. He goes to get married. He gets punked at the wedding. He marries Leah in that whole process of it. And then it's like seven more years. He works seven more years and he marries Rachel. Listen, the whole multiple wives thing is not God going do this. This is a mess. Oh, and by the way, in it, as you carry the rest of the story out, as scripture talks about, you find these two wives, Rachel and Leah, always fighting with each other. And Jacob is living in a mess. You don't see God condoning it and then God blessing it. It's a mess. Scripture points that out. Gideon, we find him serving God early in his life. He marries a host of wives. Doesn't even tell us how many. Gideon is eventually drawn away from the Lord. Oh, on top of that, as you carry out his life, his family is a mess. Again, you don't see God's hand of favor in this stuff. You actually see scripture addressing what's real and taking place, but in no way is there portrayal of God condoning it. Instead, you see in scripture, God going bad idea, bad idea. Yes, allowed to make choices, but that's a bad idea. Elkanah, 1 Samuel chapter one, he has two wives. He has Hannah and we'll just call her Penny. Penny has children, Hannah does not. Penny, for Samuel 1, would routinely, the scripture tells us in the chapter, provoke Hannah because the Lord had closed her womb. Now there's two sister wives getting along. In fact, it goes on in chapter 1 and tells us that it, Hannah goes to the temple, I ache for her, goes to the temple every year praying, God, God, could I have a child? We find her there in the text, it tells us that she's weeping and it tells us that she would not eat. I don't know, as a guy, you gotta be in trouble to not wanna eat. And she's hurting. And then in it, what do we find out? We find Elkanah, dude, just zip it, man. Just don't talk. Scripture tells us Elkanah comes up to her and says, why do you weep? Duh, number one. 
And then he says this, dude, don't, but he does. Am I not more to you than 10 sons? Uh, Hannah answer? No, <laughs> it doesn't say that. But it's just like, man, sometimes guys, we can just be obtuse. I'm telling you, everything that you see with Elkanah and his family, it's just, there's sadness. But Samuel comes out of God blessing Hannah with a boy. David, I'm just going to simply say that nowhere does the whole multiple things, wives thing, work well for David. In fact, the portrayal in scripture is it brings family disaster and death. We're kind of in these two teachings, Sundays, things, if you will, or with this Sunday. Next Sunday uh, will be the latter half of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 with the child that Bathsheba gives birth to dies. And um, it, we're going to talk about uh, what does God have to say for us about a death of an infant? Ugh, that'll be heavy. But you have death. Oh, and then in David's family, you have Amnon, one of his sons, who rapes his half-sister Tamar. Oh, and then you have Absalom here in a couple Sundays. He is just an adult disaster in David's life. And then there's the son, David's son, Solomon. You know, yeah, Solomon, man, he's a good dude. He, he's got all kinds of wisdom. Uh, uh, but hear this. He writes Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, he's writing with this whole thing of talking about his life. And he's talking about all his chasing after the wind ways. And in that, it's fascinating to me. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9. Solomon says this. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. It's singular, not plural. The dude that has a thousand is like one is a good idea. Just one. The scripture provide accounts of followers of, of Yahweh and non-followers of Yahweh who have multiple wives. Yes, it does. But I would suggest scripture's portrayal of it in every case points to the multiple wives idea of being a bad idea. God's putting it on the table for us to see not that, not that. Now, you, you may go, yeah, but, but Doug, I don't like it. I don't like that, that, that they did that, and yet God still used them. Be careful. Be careful. Because I totally get that. Like, I'm going to tell you, I don't understand to this day why Solomon, with all the wife thing going on, why God allowed him to build a temple. I, I just can't fully reason that in my head. But then I come back and I turn it around and go, oh my goodness, I get to be a pastor and like I got my act all together. Not. Get the log out of our eyes. Because grace tolerates. And that's a scandalous, unfair Reality. Grace is unfair. But Doug, what about this? And what about that? Hey, Doug, what about 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 8? You know, last Sunday, you read it. I mean, you read it, and I did. 
We're in the text, he's moving on. Uh, Nathan, before David, gives God's word saying and to David, and I gave you your master's house, and I gave him your kingdom, and I gave him your possessions. Oh, and I gave your master's wives into your arms. Yeah, that, see, that, that, that's God condoning it. Okay. Uh, we could take an hour on that. I mean that. But I, I have like a minute. So I'm just going to kind of pull this together. Um, that is taking that statement to a point that doesn't have full clarity that that is actually what's going on there. Uh, the Lord is using this terminology with what happens with kings and how it's said in that time. And it's, it could be literally in English, and I think KJV has it this way, to where it's like, you know, take, take, take them into David's bosom. Uh, by the way, it doesn't mean Mary. It doesn't even mean have this idea of having some kind of sexual relationship. Oh, let me add into that. King Saul, as far as we know about King Saul, he had one wife and one concubine. And by the way, by this time, that concubine already would have been uh, abdicated over to Joab uh, from what happened before. Oh, and by the way, on top of that, the one wife that King Saul had would have been his mother-in-law, ooh, because he married Michael, King Saul's daughter. And so, by the way, historically, even with this same kind of terminology that takes place in some ancient uh, 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 manuscripts of uh, societal conversation doesn't carry the idea even of having this idea of take as a wife to to like be a wife in your house and in your bed kind of a thing because like you would take over and it would carry this thing of just make sure that his are, are taken care of financially and provided for. I'm going to tell you, my point is, is that with every verse that comes back as a potential argument against, they are so unclear, you can't build an argument out. And you never build a doctrinal position off of a single verse, and particularly out of a single verse that comes out of narrative scripture. And every argument that says that, well, it doesn't really say clearly that you should only have one wife. Oh, I'll show you in just a second. I'm so not in that game. In fact, let's go there. I think God in his word gives the clear picture that polygamy is the bad idea. But go to Genesis chapter one. Just quickly, a few things about this. What is God's view on marriage? Answer, not polygamy, but monogamy. Okay? And I think I can prove it. Genesis chapter one. You don't have to go very far. Chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male, the word is Adam. Adam and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Are we just talking male, female categories? No. And God said to them, God's talking to Adam and Eve, which is built out. We'll go here in just a second in chapter two. Be fruitful and multiply. By the way, the way God created things, that requires a man and a woman. Okay? And to fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. You go to the end before, of chapter one, before sin comes into the picture, verse 31, and God looks at everything and he's like, this is good. No, he doesn't just say it's good. He goes, this is very good. And I'm sure awesome is in there somewhere. <laughs> that means God looked at this and he gives his hand of approval on how he set it up. And that includes, so see here in Genesis two, a man, and a woman, K, 
carrying out God's design. You look at chapter two, Adam, uh, again, the narrowing in, I think, on the creation aspect uh, of how this took place with Adam and Eve. And Adam is created first. Uh, God creates to teach. Adam is, is first, he, and the teaching part flows out of this, that he's to name all the animals. He's naming all the animals, and I think Adam's looking around like, man, they, 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 they got partners. Like, I'm alone. And then scripture just boldly, then God said, it is not good that Adam should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Why is God doing it this way? God's doing it this way to teach. By the way, I do think this is the way that it happened. And God is doing this uh, to teach us something. And he's, God isn't figuring out, it's like, oh, I missed something. Adam's going to be alone. No, no, God knew that. God is teaching us that, listen, it's, it's like a good thing when there's a team. God loves teams. And so what does God do? Note, I will make not helpers for him, but a helper. It's singular. You go to verse uh, 22, 23, uh, the Lord God takes uh, a rib out of Adam. Oh, by the way, God could have taken four ribs and made four, you know, could have made Eve and Sue and Sally and, and Betty, but God took one rib. Again, God does things to teach and he creates Eve. And the man said, and God brings her like the first wedding ceremony. And God brings her and he's like, oh, this is awesome. Again, it's in there somewhere. This is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of Adam. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his singular wife and they shall become one flesh. It's, it's so clear. You, you don't have to go beyond chapter two to understand very clearly what God's design is. And God's design is a man, a woman makes one flesh. Not a man and multiple women, not a woman and multiple men. And it's sad that I have to say this today, but, but I just have to be clear. And I don't say any of this mad. I say this like, man, this is God's design. There's nothing better. So I'm going to say it this way. One genetic man and one genetic woman makes one flesh. That's God's design. And I'm just going to lovingly say, if, if the whole sexual orientation is a struggle for you, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you. Okay. And yet, this is God's design. This is God's design. Uh, one more out of the Pentateuch. By the way, the reason I'm staying with the Pentateuch is because David and Solomon would have had the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 17, uh, let me read verses 14. Uh, the Lord says uh, that when you come out to the land that the Lord gives you to Moses and you possess it and you dwell in it, and then when people say, uh, set a king over us like all the nations around us. By the way, that's what we saw in 1 Samuel taking place when uh, Saul was put in as king, the people saying that. Go to chapter 17, verse 17, and it says, and he, referring to the king, shall not acquire many wives for himself. Well, by the way, David acquired many wives for himself, and that was wrong. 
You can see it in Genesis chapters one and two, and you can see it here in Deuteronomy 17. And I'm just gonna say it straight up. You don't need anything more said. God designed one man, one woman to make one flesh, not polygamy. And just quickly, I'll add a few New Testament passages. Matthew 19, it's a discussion about divorce. Hey, they come to him. Hey, hey, what about this whole divorce thing that Moses allowed? And Jesus answers in verse eight, and he says, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed uh, this to take place. But he says, but from the beginning, it was not so. And, and seriously, if we were in a classroom, I would take like a class or two to talk about this. But let me, let me just sum it this way. God's original intent was clear and then God allowed. God's allowance does not negate God's original intent. But God's original intent does not negate the fact of God's allowance. One more time. And you can talk about it. I was talking with someone here the other day that they were saying in their family from last week that I made mention that I really think animals talk before sin. And they said, all week it's been the family conversation. So here, here, here's the conversation for you. God's allowance does not negate his original intent. And yet, because of grace... God's original intent does not negate his allowance. You process it through, because I'll tell you, I will fight for God's grace. I'm not, in, I'm not a no divorce ever guy because of this. God's allowance does not negate his intent and his original intent does not negate his allowance. 1 Corinthians 6.6, 6, I'll just note, restates Genesis 2.24. 1 Corinthians 7.2 says, each man shall have his own wife and each woman her own husband. It's one man, one woman, one flesh. That's God's design. 1 Timothy 3.2, an overseer uh, must, uh, of the church must have one wife. 1 Timothy 3.12, a deacon in the church must have one wife. God's design is monogamy. One genetic man one genetic woman makes one spiritual flesh before the Lord. And by the way, I'll add Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, the picture, uh, marriage is a living picture. It's a living picture of Christ and the church, not Christ and the churches. Christ and the church, and uh, 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 there's a picture that takes place, and marriage is a living picture of that. One man, one man, one wham. One man, one woman as a living picture. And grace tolerates sin. And when you go through all this, you still come to a point where, man, Doug, I appreciate all that, but I still have some uncomfort. And this is where, as we kind of move it towards the end, you have to consider who our God is. Uh, early last year, early 2020, we did a series studying the nature of God. I don't know if you remember this slide or you still have the magnet up in your house. We talked through the attributes, or I would call them the actual nature of God. Our God is eternal. Our God is triune. Our God is self-existent. Our God is self-sufficient. Our God is unchanging. Our God is creator. 
Our God is all present, all powerful, all knowing. Our God is holy. He's set apart. Our God is a covenant maker. Our God is long suffering. Our God is sovereign. Our God is faithful. Our God is just. And yet our God is merciful. Our God is jealous. And yet our God is grace. Our God is good. Our God is love. Out of the Psalms, our God is radiant. In Psalm 34, 5, I believe it is, it says, and those who pursue him are radiant. That's our God. And when you come to this, and even sometimes where I go, yeah, but I, man, I still... Seriously, God, I, I think it was kind of a mistake for you to let Solomon do that because, man, the, the dude was over the top with the whole thing. And wait a second. I'll leave it at your feet because I know the day when I see you, all of my great questions and all of the things that make me uncomfortable about you will be resolved in a nanosecond just like they were for John in Revelation chapter one. You have to bring these things back to who God is because I and you are not the arbitrators of what ultimate truth is. God is. So what do we consider about this then? What do we do? This is a subject that battles in our minds. So it's really the result of this is, so how do we think about this? How do we think about the multiple wives issue in the Old Testament? And I could even say for those who live in cultures where it's going on around them, how do they think about it? Well, multiple wives was never God's plan. It's never been. It's never been his, he's never condoned it. He's never said that's good. It's always been God's design for one man and one woman to make one flesh. Not one man and multiple women, not one woman and multiple men, not one man and one man, not one woman and one woman, but one man and one woman makes one flesh. That's the design. And along with that, God's grace forbears our sin. But Doug, you can't say that because if you say that, then people will be okay to sin. No, I'm just gonna tell you this. I will fight for grace because I am not going to position grace as this thing that somehow we earn. That's not biblical. But Doug, it's not fair. Now you're getting it. You are spot on. Grace is not fair. And that's why it is grace. And I need to get that through my thick skull. And I need to be more serious about my sin than yours. And you need to be more serious, Matthew chapter seven, about your sin than others. So how about this? How about we get the log out of our eye about the multiple wives thing in the Old Testament, knowing that God never condones it and always calls it out and, or points or leads it out to be a bad idea. How about we leave it there in his hands and let's pursue after being men and women who please the Lord. It's hard to do, but we need to do it. 
Back in the day, the culture said, do multiple wives for political reasons. It builds alliances. Hey, cultural political reasons are not the reasons to do it. Back in the day, it was said, you do multiple wives culturally for economic reasons because you need that many kids to run a farm. Uh, because you need that many kids to care for your retirement. By the way, part of the reason in Hannah's head as to why it's so hard not to have a child back in that day is because she was in a peck of situation because there was no children to be able to care for her in her old age. And that weight was there. But cultural's call, it's a good economic choice, does not usurp God's design, Right? Culture doesn't drive truth. God's word drives truth. Or how about, that's just what I saw as a norm in my family, Solomon. Well, multiple wives is just the norm in my family. But it's not an excuse for what is wrong. Because scripture calls it as wrong. In the Old Testament, God says, one woman, one man, makes one team for the Lord. In the New Testament, God says one man plus one woman makes one team for God's pleasure and delight. I hope that helps. And Lord, on this different Sunday of teaching and a subject, I pray that in it, that you would use it even in ways maybe that is beyond the multiple wives thing. Lord, there are subjects and there are situations that are just hard for us to comprehend, wrap our minds around, wrap our hearts around. and They are complicated and convoluted and yeah, sometimes they just push us. And we can get discouraged or lost or, or frankly, we can cop a bad attitude about you from it. Our world is broken. Oh, Lord, you know that. And the fact that you don't take all of this, including us, and just eliminate us in a nanosecond? Wow. Reminds us of how your grace tolerates. Doesn't condone. Doesn't approve of sin. But grace is bigger than our sin. And Father, maybe there's someone here in this room that doesn't know the grace that you offer to this extent, has never received your forgiving, loving, abiding grace. I pray they would ask someone, they would get with someone. I pray they would come to know you as your Savior. And Lord, for those who know Christ, as our savior, I just pray that even a subject, an odd, uncomfortable, even kind of one of those subjects of why did you even put it in your word? I pray that it would point us to you, that we would trust you, 
lean into you and that we would see you and your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.